So I played Boston. Oh, um, yeah. I played I played Boston solo actually a few right. days ago. I played it solo with the Sinclair, and then I was playing a lead guitar for uh, one of my friends who has a project called uh, Lady Lamb. Right. Who actually who used to tour uh, Europe quite a bit. Uh, she I don't think she's been over there in a while, but it was a it was a thirteen piece band in New York. Oh, nice. Yeah, 13 pieces in New York, 11 pieces in Boston, 11 pieces in Portland. Oh, wow. So yeah, horns was, and everything? or? Yep, we had horns oh, and we had a string section. Awesome. It was like, it really was, it was so cool to get to play with like that many people at once. Uh, I'm from an, I'm from an orchestra family, like a classical music family. So it's really satisfying. It feels really like ancestrally <laughs> true for me to be playing uh, in settings that are like with those instruments and that large. But this is, this is a good place to start because you mentioned your kind of classical background. Um, at the time, was that something you enjoyed? So growing up, I was really into uh, musical theater, for sure. Mm. Loved that. Uh, my cousins were into that. Uh, all the sort of, yeah, my cousins were into that too. And my first instrument was piano, uh, which is still my favorite instrument. I absolutely okay. love the piano. Yeah, I'm trying to learn right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Piano, any goal you have, whatever it is in life, the, le learning the piano will help you achieve that goal. Uh, it's it's a really fascinating and also very comprehensive instrument because it's only one axis. Hmm. I teach a lot um, and I teach a lot of music theory and I always prefer to start people on the piano because it's so much easier to visualize compared to the guitar, which is two axes, you know? Sure. Um, so yeah, I started with piano, played that for a long time and yeah, I've always liked classical music. I've always liked jazz, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it at the time, the way that I was about like musical theater and then ultimately rock music. So I started playing guitar when I was 14 and that's sort of when I, my, my attention really went, went more in that direction. But that being said, when I was in, when I was in school, I did study classical guitar and okay. classical music and tried to keep that keep that pool of knowledge alive and curious when you write now then especially kind of the type of music that you make now do you have to suppress certain elements of bits of, of knowledge to to, to create more of a, a rock sound or more of a, a less structured sound if that makes sense hmm that's an interesting question i think the I think the big answer is no. I try not to suppress anything when I am trying to create. I do so much creatively. I have like a poetry manuscript. I do a lot of visual art. Right. So, yeah, I've, I've always been a writer and a visual artist as well as a musician. Um, and for me, the most effective way to be creative and to enjoy yourself in the process is to practice uh, non-attachment and to not censor myself so any idea that comes through no matter what it is big or small you know good or bad i i record it i try to i try to get it out either you know written or as a voice memo or as a proper recording whatever it is and i keep track of all of it and i know that it will serve its purpose whatever that might be and it might be it might be for sloth thrust it might be like a great sloth thrust song or it might be a piece of solo music or it might be this. It might be something that I needed to write in order to get to the next thing. Right. And I'm a believer in that process, uh, and that's sort of the perspective from which I teach as well, which is don't judge your work as you're creating it. Just create the work and refine it 
afterwards. I think that's very interesting. I haven't heard kind of a, an approach like that before. And it sounds very cathartic because uh, I suppose in any cr kind of creative endeavor, there's always doubt involved because there there is an audience that you're trying to connect with in in a sense. So so, are do you surprise yourself with with what you write? Are are you sometimes shocked with with what you come up with or what comes pouring <laughs> out? That's that's a hilarious question. Do I shock myself? Um, <laughs> mm, I like it. Uh, I do, I do surprise myself sometimes. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of different spaces inside of you and outside of you from which creativity and music can be born. Mm. I try to have an active practice of automatic writing and that's uh, a process during which I write. I usually type or I hand write, but these days I'm more tight because I find that my brain, my mind goes so fast. Um, that the only way to capture everything that's coming through is to just like type and be whatever. And the goal for automatic writing is to start writing and to not stop. So whatever shows up, you have to accept it. You just keep saying, yes, 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 yes. And when you do that, you, I guarantee you that you'll, you'll surprise yourself because it's when you're not, when you don't give yourself that beat to critically evaluate what it is that you're saying and trying to debunk some sort of meaning within it and de demystify the thought sure. they just show up and they're just there and uh that's part of why i'm a believer in do that afterwards if that's what feels appropriate but if you do it within that active creative process you will filter yourself and the filter that you will use if you are trying to do this at a professional um financially stable level is the filter of capitalism sure. and, and it's ugly it's ugly and it's and it's going to pollute your creativity. And it's also kind of inescapable. So for me, the way to cope with that is just to keep it moving and then worry mm. about worry about the sort of commercial nature of something after the fact, after it's already been extrapolated from your corpse. <laughs> <laughs> whenever you release something then or, or make drawing or one of those uh illustration books that you do uh whenever you put something out do, do you is that then kind of like a necessary purge in a way that you kind of need to get it out in that time and then and there's no real timetable of when when those things happen i would say Yes. For, for me, I have always felt compelled to share my work. Mm. I do know a lot of amazing artists, visual writers, musicians who don't feel compelled right. to, share their, to share their work. They, they make the work for the work's sake and for the sake of their soul. And that's that. Uh, and that's really beautiful. Uh, for me, I, I do feel compelled to share it and to create some sort of physical entity outside of myself to actualize it. Uh, that's always been important for me. And, you know, early on in Sloth Rust, we started putting out records before we really had an audience and before mm -hmm. we had people working for us. And that was what felt intrinsically right to me, which was that I was like, you know what? It's in me and I have to move it out of me. And even if it's not strategic and if it's not and it's not following the guidelines of the system to have this reach the most people and be as effective as possible, I was like, I, you know, we just, we were like, we just got to get it out. It just has to, something right. has to move. Like a feeling that really bothers me is uh, something being like stagnant and like stuck. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. Uh, so I always try to keep things moving. Of course that 
that changes once you are doing it for a certain amount of years and kind of hit a certain level with it where there does become a strategic element around when and how you're going to put out new music. But for sure, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> and, and I suppose so, some wisdom comes along with age as well. That I've noticed with myself that you, certain things start to fall away that you thought were important and they are not. So it, it's it's perspective becomes a little bit more clear, I suppose. If we go to the EP, I promise then, uh, well, let, let me start with the 90s. I'm not, I'm not going to hazard a guess at how old you are, but when when did 90s music come into the picture? I was 10 when uh, Pony came out. So You were 10 when Pony came out, so it came out in 1996, so you were born in 86, is what yes. that means. So I was born in 89, Okay. Um. so I was a bit younger <laughs> when that song <laughs> came out. But yeah, speaking of things that I loved when I was a child, I loved <laughs> I loved this one radio station in Boston called Jammin' 94.5. And it was a hip hop and R&B station. And I just loved it. My musical vocabulary was very much like musical theater. Mm. And then like 90s radio, <laughs> hip hop and R&B. So that was always just... And I didn't really question what the music was about. It was definitely right. like too... Um, yeah, not, not age appropriate, if you will. But well, at I, least I you like... spoke the language. For us, it was like, oh, this is awesome. And we had no clue what it was about. <laughs> You're singing and everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> at at, at age eight, we weren't able to, to speak English yet. So it's, oh, this is awesome. Not knowing what it's about. So that's uh, oh, a fun gosh. realization at a later stage. Well, to be honest, I don't think I knew what it was about either. But I knew <laughs> that it felt I knew that it felt good in my mm. body. And a lot of music um, of that genre from that era has that impact on your nervous system where you're just like it just like has this in it where you're just like mm. Mm, you know you just move to it so <laughs> but so when does the idea come into your mind then to to do a version of that song i feel like we had talked about it for a while um we did a cover zp in the past uh and our our goal when we do covers is to reinterpret them through like a mm. different lens and pony is obviously a very you know kind of a classic r&b song and we wanted to see how heavy we could make it mm. and if we could make it feel ornate by adding by adding you know guitar solos and sort of in drum fills really and just sort of asking that question like how hard can we make the song go that uh, you also have an extended version on the uh, album or the EP. What what was the idea behind that then to extend kind of that that musical part? Oh man, I'm so psyched for people to hear that. So yeah, that's a that's a 14 minute long version. It's actually over 14 minutes uh, of Pony. Uh, pretty much for for uh, for Will and I, uh, improvisation has always been super. Or for for Will and me, I have to correct my grammar. I'm one of those people. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, for, for me and Will, uh, improvisation has always been really important to us. That's kind of at the, the the crux of what we started doing together and what we connect over and part of what keeps us both playing and together after all these years. So we liked the idea of creating a version of the song that just like went off at the end and kind of let it, we kind of let it play itself. We had uh, our friend Brooks Allison play bass for us. He's an, mm. he's an amazing bassist. He toured with us for um, the past couple of years um and yeah it, it really just played itself we were like oh let's let's give it a shot let's just jam it out and see how it goes and we just you know we just went in and we started playing 
And we didn't think about how much time had passed or, and we had no agenda. We just did one take of it. And that we were like, all right, I think that's, I think that's it. And we even talked about, uh, cause there, you know, there were some moments that Brooks and I each played a couple notes that we were like, Ooh, that wasn't like a hundred percent the note that I would pick if I was being super conscious of what I was doing. Should we clean it up? And we kind of agreed like, no, no, we have to just let people see it for exactly what it is. Uh, and I think that there's, there's a lot of power in putting something out that hasn't been so refined. We're in a time where everything is so produced and so glossy. And it's not that I have, it's not that I'm being critical of that. I just think there's sure. also value in the other side of like, Hey, this is what happened in the room, which is how, um, which is how music used to be. It used to be like, you couldn't be in the room unless you could play the song accurately a certain number of times in a row, because the microphone that was picking you up was picking a lot of other things up as well. Mm. So it was kind of more of that approach, which I like, we're all kind of old school people. So. Oh, that's great to hear. And I think it adds a lot of character to the music. I think when, if, if it's too perfectly produced, it, it kind of sucks the soul out uh, in my opinion. Um, but talking about that, that kind of, collaboration uh, that the three of you have and I suppose uh, predominantly with Will but uh, why is why is that uh, music musical language that the two of you speak why, why does that work so well why does that work so well well Will and I met at this point 50, about 15 years ago mm -hmm. um, a little more than 15 years ago even which is wild and we started to play together in other settings. We played in a hip hop group. We played in a jazz okay. improv group. We played in a blues group. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't the singer really in any of those. I was more of an instrumentalist, which is I, I'm honestly, you know, the tour I just did, I was I wasn't singing. I was just I was just the lead guitarist. And that that's something I still really like doing, which is just mm -hmm. supporting another front person. So Will and I kind of got the opportunity to play different genres of music. And he's also like, he's a great bassist. He's a great guitarist. Um, he can play keys. I can play keys. I can play bass. So, you know, we're, we're both multi-instrumentalists and we got to know each other on these different levels in these different settings. And that offered us a, a reference point to communicate that I think uh, comes across in the music. Now, I mentioned the word doubt earlier on when whenever there's a creative endeavor there's a song also called Maybe Maybe, uh, which kind of falls neatly within that. So so what was the starting point for that song for you? Mm. You know, that's a good example of a song that I, I did go into that one being like, oh, I kind of want to write like a like a simple rock banger. Mm. Sometimes songs just show up and I don't think about the genre whatsoever. That happens a lot. But for this one, I was like. Let's try writing something a little bit simpler. I, I have a taste for, I have a taste for like the ornate and for things that are linear and things with time signature changes. Mm. And I wanted to see what would happen if I wrote something that was fairly direct. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to start this with just a, a single note and see, see how far I can take that. And then just that, I, I, I consider that a pretty, a pretty conventional song in terms of the scope of my songwriting. And I wanted to topic wise kind of be looking at at nature and that ecosexuality and what it mm. means to connect with to connect with nature in that way and to see nature on an erotic level and to examine patterns outside of you and what that means to you and your nervous system and different ways to frame things 
I, I, I don't know. Uh, this is first time hearing about ecosexuality, so I, I don't really know what that entails. Can, can you give me just a glimpse of what that is? Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, I, I have heard different people kind of express and uh, describe this differently. For me, what it means is having an erotic connection with nature. Mm, okay. And I mean, you're in LA. Is it difficult to find those spaces or no? No. It's not. There's, there's, but you know, there's, there's nature and there's beauty everywhere. Like you can find it. Right. I definitely am in a, a believer of fractals, things being made up of smaller versions of themselves. So even, you know, I just came from New York city. There's plenty of nature in New York city as well. You just have to keep your eyes open and, and be willing to be willing to see things where, where they're actually showing up. Uh, but but LA, LA is certainly a unique place because we have all these microclimates here. It's like at, mm. at any moment, I'm, you know, an hour away from the mountains, the desert, the ocean. Right. Yeah, I really need to go there at some point. Um, finally, then the EP is called I Promise. And well, kind of a two part question. First, where, where did the title come from? But also, uh, is this kind of the precursor to to another full album? Or how do you see? Well, what have you written so far? And where is it going? Mm. So, yeah, I, I thought I thought a lot about uh, the right way to title this album. We had a few different working titles and I settled on, I promise. Um, for starters, it's actually I, I like to I like to pull an internal lyric for album titles. I've always I, I've always I've, I've pretty much always done that um, now that I think about it, except for our first album. Uh, that one that one is titled differently. But everything else, all the all the other albums we've ever put out. Uh, of course you do is a lyric from Crockpot. Everyone else is a lyric from Horseshoe Crab. The Pact is a lyric from Birthday Cake. Parallel Timeline is a lyric from Parallel Timeline, <laughs> which is the only time I've had like a title track. And and part of why I was comfortable doing that is because I knew that song would not be a single. Mm. I was like, this song isn't one of the ones that uh, is going to get pushed super hard. So I felt comfortable right. with that. And then I Promise is a full lyric from Pony, actually. But I don't think that people think about it, uh, which is part of what I like, is to sort of force people to recontextualize things. And for me, the premise of a promise is really interesting because it feels like a false pretense. I don't think that you can ever really authentically promise anyone anything because of the fact that we have so little control over outside circumstances. Right. And this is something I've been aware of since I was a kid. I was always very suspicious of people who were making promises because I was like god like you know I've always been a, a little bit of you know someone who took things very literally and in, in mm. a, a pretty extreme way and I was like how could that person make such a strong statement about something that at the end of the day is probably out of their hands I think all you can do is try your best to do right by people um but this idea of of promises is just really conceptually interesting to me, and the idea that maybe they're maybe they're at their core impossible to offer authentically. Mm. I, 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 maybe if you'll indulge me, because this this ties into something I think about a lot, uh, which is free will. Do you think we have free will? This is going very mm. philosophical now, but. <laughs> mm. I think that I think that uh, that's a very interesting question that I think about a lot. Certainly, um, I'm into I'm into ceremonial magic, so there's definitely a lot of talk in there regarding 
love is the law, love under will. Um, mm. And this idea that we do, it's in our best interest to identify what our true will and purpose is, and that that is actually the thing that will guide us. But in terms of the control we have over it, I think about it as um, a magnetic center and something that you have innately that has these various charges within it. And the work that you can do, should you choose to show up for it, is is trying to understand that and refine it and figure out where it is you're being pulled and where it is you're being pushed and to try to listen to that. Uh, yeah, li listen to that internal <laughs> magnet and, and follow it. So I think it's kind of a balance. There's, to, to some degree, we we are, you know, masters of our own destiny, but in, in other ways, we're not. We're, we're, we're caused, we're, you know, we're, we're from the stars and <laughs> there's sort of these internal maps we each have going on and it's, it's our work to try to understand them and to work with them. Are you thinking about uh, releasing a new album, uh, like a full album, or uh, where are your thoughts on, on what comes next? Sure. Yeah. Then, then I would say the next thing for Sloth Rust will be a will be a full LP, and we have some of it written, and okay. some of it is not written. And I'm, as I was saying, you know, always trying to work on new material and. I try to be a yes person and just see what wants to show up in the room and take it from there. Sounds good. Leah, may I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me? You got it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Hopefully we can come play for y'all sometime soon. <laughs>